Show Dr. Esteban Marconi. We are Music Fans 101 and more. That's what we are. Music Fans 101. Yeah. Dr. Esteban Marconi. Yeah. Rocking the boat. Rocking We're the boat. back. Can't you tell we are back? We're back in So how was your summer, My David? My summer was the best summer on the history of the planet. It was very Why? Because of climate change. Why was it so good? Yes. I got to take a little break. I got to learn. I got to ingratiate myself with sunshine. I dyed my hair purple. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, just the underarm hair. Boy. I've shaved it off since. So are you looking forward to a spectacular season? We're going to have a great new season of Music Biz 101 and more. Yes. And why? Well, tonight we have a great guest. Oh, wow, I know that. But I mean, why are you looking forward to such a great... Why am I What kind of things are we going to be doing that are different, that are new? New and improved? Yes. Well, see, we're going to have the guests such as Ben Weinman, mm-hmm. who is the owner of Party Smasher Inc., but most people know him from the band Dillinger's Escape Plan. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of Dillinger's Escape Plan, Stephen Dallas? Can't say I have. Do you know yeah. Matt Young from Winter Music Artist Services? I do know Matt. Yeah. Matt Young is good friends with Ben Weinman from Dillinger's Escape Plan. All right, let's look at that. That's like three degrees of separation. Yeah. That's right. That, you know, it is. So you there. practically have been friends <laughs> with Ben Weinman for many a year. Yes. So uh, so we have work. that going on, and then we uh, also have uh, before that, actually on September 27th, Aaron Jacobson, who is the music business lawyer, and that's what she calls herself on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. So we can actually talk about that on LinkedIn. We have a lawyer with us tonight because Stephen Dallas of Warner Chapel Music is with us. Let's give Stephen yes. Dallas a hand. Okay. He's not clapping for himself. Another... Are you, have you no pride, sir? Here we go with Stephen Dallas. Another lawyer. I know. But before we no, get to Stephen Dallas... Don't hold it against me. I know. <laughs> um, Stephen Dallas's first name is spelled the exact same way as Stephen Marconi. We haven't said hi to Stephen Marconi, the doctor. Well, thank you very How much. Yes, another year with him, and I am still looking for a co-host. That's right. And, uh, the pay is so it's good. It's been four years now. And, uh, and this is starting, I think, believe we're starting year five of this four radio show. Four or five. It's actually, technically, we started in the spring semester of 2014. That's right. So we're right. sort of like four and a half. But we'll call it five, because if you round up, Stephanie Grimes, who is our student co-host. Yes. the MBA in the music page. Very good. Oh, sorry. You got to talk into the mic. Okay, I will do there we go. And now she's a radio vet. <laughs> so, by the way, we started with Don't Let Love Down by Rob Fusari, who is our good friend and Grammy-winning writer, producer, discovered Lady Gaga. And the one who turned the music up and turned the music down is our good friend Ashley Weltner, starting year two as producer-engineer. Yeah. Music Biz 101 and more. And we must say... We must say... 
No, we must say that we have rebranded ourselves. The we program? No, yes, the program is no longer music management. What is it called? Stephen? Now it is a concentration in music and entertainment industries. And I think it fits what we do much better than music management. Yes, because we're talking about entertainment here you know a lot of what we focus on is music but we've talked about video games we talk about music if you sign up for our newsletter and more and that's right that's the and more that's if correct. you sign up for our newsletter go to musicbiz101wp.com mm -hmm. last week's music letter for example is all about what's wrong with the music industry and sort of comparing streaming and the music and the movie industry to how streaming has affected the, uh, the music industry Yes, it was extreme. Stephen Dallas said it was interesting. He is a VP, and that makes me smart. We should give thanks, by the way, to Van Dyne, Bruno Inc., and White Hat Management, because yes. with artists like Charlie Poof, Dave Matthews, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when it's good for you. Mm -hmm. Hey, by the way, Esteban. Yes. What happened on June 6th, 2017? I never thought you would bring that up. What happened on June 6, 2016? No, it was a big day for us. Yes. For certainly. the two of us. Yeah. And we have sold in just two months. Do you know what happened, by the we way, Steve? We sold over 900 copies. Of? Managing Your Band, 6th edition. The 6th edition of Managing Your Band. Yes, and it's at Amazon. It's at the other place, too. Barnes & Noble. And it's at Back Wing. That's what I was thinking of, That's Back right. Wing. And uh, yes. Steve has some in the back of his car, and he'll sell them uh, at a 50% up cost uh -huh. for gas. Actually, we must uh, we could put in a disclaimer now that should, many yeah. students think that professors in New Jersey state schools, when they use their own book, they make a killing on the students. Not the case. Not true. Not real. No, Crispy has a law that says that we must give back to the state every penny that we would have earned on that book we must give to a state agency so i've been doing this for years state agency tells me how many were sold at the bookstore that they, they can't do amazon and so on but they can give me an idea and then i usually write a check to the music department scholarship fund so all of you out there don't think that your professors are down in god where would they be now down in south america enjoying themselves because uh, because you paid for that book that's not true right and managing your band 6th edition uh, so you know Stephen Dallas and Stephanie Grimes knows this because you already have your copy don't I you I do have my copy have you looked at your copy yet I've read it cover to cover have you really no because <laughs> <laughs> she would know that I'm the centerfold but but managing your band uh, Steve Marconi on my left and your left and our listeners right uh, wrote five editions of this book all by his lonesome. And then for the past two years, we worked on the sixth edition and it was released. Hal Leonard is the distributor. Dr. Esteban is the publisher. He's got his own publishing company. And, but it covers, we had uh, friends from the Warner Music Group help us out. Like we mentioned Matt Young already. Paul Sinclair mm -hmm. actually created some artwork and put that up. Paul Sinclair from Atlantic Records is actually the person who uh, introduced us in the first place. Very good man. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's a great book, and if people are interested in it, tweet us at musicbiz one at musicbiz one hundred and one WP or hit us up on Instagram. 
but uh, it's got a great cover. I took the picture at the Warner, at the Atlantic Records studio or the Warner Music Group studio. Yeah. And that's the cover. It's PG. a microphone. PG, too, the yes. cover. Right. It's a parental guidance suggested. So we've thanked Paul, we thank Rob, we thank Darren Van Dyne, we've thanked uh, Ashley. So we should introduce our guest, Stephen Dallas. If anyone is still listening. Yeah, I bet they are because your voice is like candy. <laughs> Can't get enough. Sweet ha. fella. Ha, ha. Our guest today is Stephen Dallas. He is the vice president of the United States of America. <laughs> no. no. Vice- I don't think he wants to do that now. No. He is the vice president of digital legal no, affairs affiliate. and business development at Warner Chapel Music. That's what they tell me. That is what your LinkedIn told us. Yes. So could you give us an overview of, again, I'll say VP, Digital Legal Affairs and Business Development at Warner Chapel Music. Can you explain what Warner Chapel, Warner Chapel Music is? Explain the different things that you do, sure. and then we'll take it from there. Sure. So Warner Chapel is a publishing company, music publishing. A lot of people kind of get, uh, when they think about the music business, I think, they probably think more kind of on the recording music side. So when you tell somebody, oh, you know, I'm in music publishing, most of the times when I've tell people that, oh, what label do you work for? And I'm like, I don't really work for a label, I work for a publishing company. And they're like, oh, so you guys like do print magazines and that sort of thing? And I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. They're like, what do you do like? And then like someone who might know about music is like, oh, do you guys do tablature or anything like that? And I'm like, well, we're getting kind of warm, but uh, you know, they're like, well, then you clearly you get like free tickets and you hang out at great shows and this and that. I'm like, no. And then they usually just kind of turn around and walk away from me and that's kind of the end of the cocktail conversation. So <laughs> this that, that happens. Yeah, like this publishing company, what is it? So it's kind of probably the nerdy part of the business, but we deal with um, rights in musical compositions. So just a quick, you know, primer. I'm sure you guys probably have this in your book, but um, for any kind of sound, any sound recording and musical composition, or, you know, a, a musical work, there's two copyrights. One is in the sound recording, one is in the musical composition. And so our side of the business deals with the copyrights in the songs. So we represent the songwriters and the songs, the music, the lyrics, the melody, that sort of thing. So, you know, by way of quick example, I pen a song, um, Brave New Radio, let's call it, and um, you guys each, you know, go ahead and cover that, right? If you guys have uh, record labels, then they're gonna own the sound recording and the copyright in that. But of course, the copyright in the underlying musical composition, what I wrote, stays with me and you each have to ultimately kind of pay or get my permission to use the composition. So that's sort of, you know, a long-winded way of saying I'm, I'm on the publishing side of the business. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then the title, the uh, Digital Legal Affairs yeah. and then the Business Development. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a lawyer by trade, but as I said, don't, don't hold that against me. But, uh, you know, I started out actually years, years, years ago in, in litigation. I was a commercial litigator. Um, and, you know, I've always kind of had in the back of my mind I wanted to be in the music business. Um, not an easy business to get into. Uh, not an easy business to stay in. And, uh, you know, so I, I was in private practice for about six years at some firms in New York. And, um, you know, had the benefit of kind of working on some, some you know, copyright cases here and there. It wasn't the mainstay. But, um, you know, as I kind of went along my career path, I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to be in, in the music business. And uh, I just had an opportunity that kind of came up after kind of years of networking and yada, 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 and, you know, lying and cheating and stealing and all that other stuff. You know, anything what it takes to get into the music business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, my first job was at EMI. And I worked at EMI Music Publishing. Um, and so I was there for uh, the better part of about six years. And then I came over to Warner Chapel back in 2012. And um, I assumed the role of being um, sort of a half lawyer, half business affairs person, and all kind of within the realm of digital. So a lot of, a lot of companies, when they have in-house lawyers, um, many times, you know, they have teams of, you know, you have a business affairs team and a legal team. Legal does all the, the drafting and the contracts 
business affairs does, maybe sort of more of the business development type thing. For publishing companies, we tend to be a little bit more integrated, and so my role uh, is kind of both. I wear both, both hats. Sometimes I'm a lawyer and I draft, and sometimes I'm also like, you know, I, I work on kind of the digital strategy and the business side, which is actually kind of the side that I, I kind of enjoy to do more anyway. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's you know, hence, hence the title. So I kind of work on, on both, both sides of the coin. Yeah, I would feel that the, um, the legal side isn't as much fun in terms of you wanting to be in the music business uh, after being, you know, an attorney out. So do you, um, do you sort of lean towards that side or stick your nose in a little more, uh, you know, in, in general? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's just given the job responsibilities and kind of how the companies are structured, I tend to work on both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the course of a deal is, you know, somebody comes in and says, hey, we want to use your music. We need to get a license. So we kind of figure out business terms. We kind of start structuring the deal. A lot of stuff nowadays in digital, particularly, is very square peg, round hole. You know, you're very rarely start doing the same thing twice because applications have different you know, uh, functionalities and, mm -hmm. you know, you know, different types of music users and the like. So we kind of, you know, formulate that, kind of come to terms on that. And then from that point, we start thinking about, well, how are we actually going to pay for this thing and make it work within a contract? Right. So you kind of do both sides of it. Right. That perspective. But it's, you know, now in this day and age, I think with everything that's going on in the digital world, particularly in publishing, uh, the law and the business is kind of very intertwined. It's mm -hmm. a really regulated business mm -hmm. in the U.S. in particular. Yeah. So, right. you know, you've got, you know, Section 115 on the mechanical side, you've got the performance, you know, the performing rights organizations, you know, you've got, um, you know, um, all different sort of types of entities and stuff that are kind of dealing with, with these rights. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's kind of, I think it's a good yin and yang to kind of have both a business and legal perspective, uh -huh. Uh -huh. if that answers the question. <laughs> yeah. How has um, Netflix and Amazon and so on, have that, have, how have they changed the business in terms of, you know, licensing and so on? Um, I mean, significantly, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if we look back at the last maybe 20, 25 years of the business, right? I mean, I think you, you saw certainly a lot of consolidation, uh, you know, in terms of distribution, right? I mean, there was a time when record stores were everywhere and then Tower Records was around and mm -hmm. and they went bust and it was left to like, you know, the retailers basically, the Best Buys and sure. you know, the Circuit Cities and whoever else, you know, the Walmarts, right? That's kind of what happened in that side of the physical business. And in digital, you know, you mentioned Netflix and Amazon, I mean, you're starting to see in streaming, I would say maybe if you go back 10 years, you had Rhapsody and Press Play and all those services. And then for a while you had, you know, RDO and you had, you yeah, know, you still yeah. have, you know, which obviously went bust. And you right. know, there's a couple other ones that have kind of been, you know, left by the wayside. And you mm -hmm. see it's starting to kind of become, you know, probably a two, three, four horse race, you know what I mean? Depending on what headlines you read. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got Spotify out there, you know, who's market leader. Uh, probably the market leader. You've got Apple. Amazon's making a big play for it. Um, don't discount Tencent in, in, in Europe and part of in China and Asia. Tencent. Mm -hmm. Tencent. Yeah. Yeah. T yeah. It's part. Yeah. And I mean, they're probably about yeah. They they're about the IPO. Probably you know tens of hundreds of billions. I think it probably by the industry, the entire you know U.S. recorded music and publishing industry. You know, in a day. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I think you've seen a lot of changes where. You know, like any new business, when there was an excitement for the business changing to streaming, there was a lot of players coming in. But as time has gone on, given the cost of, of content uh, and also just, you know, you go to the supermarket and there's, you know, 15 different loaves of wheat bread. You know, are those, all those brands going to survive? You, do you really want that much choice? You know, some people, yeah. some people don't. So this, I think it's, it's the same with the streaming services, right, that you're seeing 
three or four that are kind of out there now that right. are kind of leading the pack. Not to say that there won't be new entrants, but you're certainly seeing like the corollary, right? You know, like I was mentioning right. the big buy stores. Now you've got the big tech companies and there's a handful of them and you're kind of starting to see the market shape into that. I just read where title now in 2018 will be in all Mercedes Benz, available mm -hmm. in all new Mercedes Benz. Yeah, I mean, I think cars are a big place, you know, it's funny, like, you know, working in New York and having headquarters in New York, I don't really think about the experience of being in a car other than, you know, now yeah. I live nearby here, but like for a while, it never occurred to me that like one of the biggest, the best, most captive audiences are being in an automobile. And that's a huge market, I think, you know, and I think you saw car play with Apple a couple of years ago trying yeah. to do things. Um, you know, there was a, a um, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the, the service, but they were exclusive to BMW in Europe for a while. So, and yeah, I mean, if title's gonna be there, I mean, it's, you know, it's instant access. And they're know? taking the uh, initiative from what Sirius XM did to get big, which was Sirius, X, Sirius XM, which was kind and of- Pandora. With yeah. uh, many companies, you know, buy our car and you get six months for right. free and hopefully you're, we're converting you, kind of like the Spotify freemium model. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think that's right. And I also think as you're seeing like, you know, broadband, you know, prices sort of decrease, right? And, and, and it being everywhere, everywhere being wired, you know, it's it's starting to become more cost effective to listen to Spotify and Pandora, you know, non-terrestrial type type radio, um, you know, in your car versus elsewhere. So that that's a huge market. You know, it's interesting because talk about title specifically, because I always think about title is sort of the, uh, even though Jay-Z's there, you know, they're, they want to be the top one, but they're really number four or five, you know, mm -hmm. in the market. They just have the Jay-Z connection, which kind of, makes us talk about it otherwise we'd be taught they'd be like rhapsody which yeah. is still exists mm -hmm. but nobody's ever talked about rhapsody yeah. but um the, the thing about sirius xm is they were a public company and they were saying they were installed in all these cars and that was helping the stock price go up but the fact was none of these cars were sold they were just on lots because especially at the crash in 08 uh, there were all these cars that were just unsold mm -hmm. but sirius xm could say we're in five million cars right now when in fact only maybe 1.5 million have been sold. So I can see Title ultimately doing the same thing wherein X number of Mercedes-Benz, Title goes either public or they sell, which ultimately is what Jay-Z bought the company to do is just to sell it anyway. Mm -hmm. And now it'll be just a selling point and they'll kind of inflate those numbers accounting wise and then I don't think you can speak of that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in this day and age, I think for any streaming service, it's going to be about scale, mm -hmm. you know, and I think they look, human beings are creatures of habit, right? And so, you know, you look at Spotify being kind of the front runner, and I think they're, they're saying now, they're, I think the latest count, if you read the press, is 60 million paid subscribers yeah. worldwide and like yeah. 150 million users overall, including the free service. I mean, that's pretty impressive growth. If you look at Apple, I think Apple's at about 30 million, um, you know, paid subscribers, they don't have a free service. So, you know, any of these companies to really compete need scale. And so, doing something like that where every single Mercedes has title in it, that helps with scale. You see, particularly in, um, in Europe, um, a ton of the services do um, telco bundle deals, right? Where they bundle with a local, you know, Orange or one of the, one of the sort of the, the telco providers. And what ends up happening, it's like having it with AT&T or Sprint. I mean, title actually does something with Sprint as well, mm -hmm. right? Where basically it's like, okay, you know, we have a billion, you know, consumers who are on our plan. All of a sudden you can just automatically get that put onto your phone bill, not even think about the price you have a subscriber. Whether you use it or not, like the gym membership, who knows, but sure. you're accounted as a subscriber and you're getting some revenue for it. Right, right? now Spotify and Hulu have gotten together for $4.99 for students. They're doing that bundle. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 
I mean, it's the landscape. It's just so so different than than anyone could ever imagine. Really, um, do you find it? You have to. Well, when you're doing deals, do you think ahead that that this is going to go further or it's going to go? Yeah, you know, I think what I'm you know what I'm trying to say is it's happening so fast and you're doing these deals. Do you ever wonder if you're right or you're on the right track or or you know does it make sense so on yeah i mean i think you know like i said there's everything is kind of square peg round hole and there's yeah. no we're kind of creating the precedence right i mean i think if you look at you know if you look at the digital music market and let's say we go back to like the late 90s 2000s right the when you had napster come out right um you know that obviously completely upended the music business. I mean, for all intents and purposes, people thought it was over, you know, and it was done. I mean, if you, you know, who would have thought 16 years later that they were talking about this is now an incredibly lucrative business and it's going to even give, I mean, Goldman Sachs came out with some reports saying that yeah. by 2037, the music business will be worth like $500 billion you know, yeah. or some, you know, obscene number. And, right. you know, there's going to be 500 million or 500, yeah, 500 million or 500 billions, 500 million, pardon me. That number 500 million subscribers. 500 million would be great, but then yeah, we're right. gonna run out of people. We are. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna space. run out of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think you know, we, we certainly, I, I think any content company is kind of you have to play the long game, but you have to be also very mindful of the short game. And I think, you know, you know, certainly content doesn't want to shoot itself in the foot and do sort of you know have an eye on short term when if this is really the next iteration of the business, right? You know, going from you know, eight tracks to, you know, cassettes and vinyls always sure. in the background to CDs. And now this, what could be the next iteration? We don't know, mm -hmm. but everything that we're setting right now is just, these are all kind of steps, to, you know, in the kind of the continuum. So yeah, I mean, we think about mm -hmm. it all the time. Mm -hmm. Where are we going to be in three years? We're going to be in five years. Where right. are we going to be next week? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's moving that fast. Yeah. It literally is moving that fast. And that's why we always say content is king. Yes. Because you can't, you have to own the content. So we no idea what's going to happen in 10 years. Yeah. From now. And that's, you know, I think, that, and that's actually a great point, Steve, because I think, you know, for a while people were sort of saying, well, you know, if Spotify's out there, what, why do I really need a record label? Like, yeah. you know, they're questioning the label model. And I think obviously the label model has been in some ways potentially turned on its head, but you can't replicate, you know, the label marketing and promotion, right, that they do. And the fact that they actually, you know, they curate. I mean, right now, you know, having an open democracy and having the ability to get anything you want whenever you want, you know, sort of, you know, I went to the Arcade Fire Show last night, you know, everything now, right? Yeah. Everything that you possibly need. Like, it's, you're kind of blinded by choice. You actually need someone to tell you, hey, listen to these five bands. This is what you should be listening to or listen to this genre. This is what it should be, mm -hmm. you know? Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, there's too much choice. So you kind of need, and I think, yeah. you know, in that regard, I think major labels and, and publishers also, um, you know, also, you know, definitely play an important role in, uh, in that. Right. And we were, we were sort of shunning and going away from gatekeepers. And now with playlists being so important that we have now gatekeepers again, because people looking at playlists by Dave or by Ann, by whomever, mm -hmm. and they're sort of, you know, going on their ear. So we're getting, it, it's interesting to me that we're getting back to this idea of gatekeepers and maybe it isn't the head of R&R anymore it's more of a communal thing yeah. but it's it's still there to flesh out the good from the bad you know yeah no the good from the not so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I totally agree with that and, and again you know to your point content is king I mean I think you know despite all these services being out there like the Spotify's and the Apple's and you know the YouTube's and everything 
where are they without the content? Yeah. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, the most important people in this equation are the ones who create the music. Yeah. Period. I don't care. I don't care how you can get it. I don't care what planet you can get it on. If what you're listening to is not something that's compelling or interesting, right? The pipes are empty. Yeah. So that's that's absolutely content is king. And I think you're actually gonna see over the next couple of years, I think um, you know, certainly the services are, you know, they, they you're seeing it right now. I mean, Apple is, you know, producing original content. Spotify is, you know, they were taking a hand at it. It's, it's questionable to see what they're gonna do. Facebook now, apparently, if you read the press, is spending a billion dollars on original shows and programs. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So everyone's coming out with content. So um, and Facebook's you know, just made a deal or in the process of making a deal where copyrighted material uh, they're going to pay. Yeah, that was words. one of the questions that one of our okay. Marla Consenti uh, tweeted about that specifically. We were talking about Facebook today mm-hmm. in class, but do you know anything about what, because fa- Facebook has not really been paying for the music, and so now, at least from a publisher standpoint, what do you know about? Well, they, they weren't allowing even, you know, they were pulling down if it was copyrighted material on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You know, when YouTube has this Content ID. What is it? Whatever that is, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, supposedly they want to make it kosher so that mm-hmm. people can put up now copyrighted material and people will be paid mm-hmm. for the material, you know, that's been. So have you, got, have you guys been talking to Facebook? Have you cut any sort of deal? I, I'm kind of not at liberty to sort of get into it, but I know that if you read the press, um, Facebook is saying that they're offering, you know, millions of dollars to the music industry. And I think that. You know, I think they're they're certainly you know probably interested in, in finally licensing you know the content. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that they did have a problem with um, you know the, the issue. The thing about these the service is that you know users are very fickle, right? You know, if you're not getting what you want from a service, you're going to go to the other service because there's a bunch of other ones, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't really people's attention spans are very short. So if you start not being able to do the things you want to do on a service, you're going to find a service that you can do it on. And so I think, you know, a couple of months ago, you know, there was some stuff in the press about the fact that a lot of user videos that people were uploading onto Facebook were coming down because of copyright concerns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the takedowns were being processed by by the content companies. So, um, you know, I would imagine that that given the case, you know, Facebook, what does Facebook sell? Well, they sell engagement, right? Mm-hmm. They don't pay for content, they sell engagement. They can go to an advertiser and say, hey, I've got, you know, this many millions of monthly active users and they're on this platform for an hour, two hours a day. I mean, it's amazing the amount of stickiness on this platform, right? I mean, we all probably check it. I'm sure everybody here is on Facebook, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they look at it and that's what they're kind of selling. So the minute people start peeling off, you know, that, that I'm sure has an effect on their business. Um, you know, and also, look, they may have other kind of plans in terms of what they want to do with music. And so they want to, you know, they want to collect, I mean, you know, Google you know, did licenses years, years, years ago with, um, you know, with, you know, YouTube and the like with, with, with the content companies. Um, so, you know, it's a good trend. You know what I mean? I mean, I do think that, uh, you know, from, from where we sit, we want to see, you know, yeah. writers and artists paid and compensated appropriately. And I think when you're sitting in a world where, you know, these very well-funded tech companies can sit behind the digital millennium copyright at the DMCA wall and say, hey, we're a platform here and, you know, you can put all your stuff up, you know, on, on our platform, but, you know, we don't know about it. But yeah. if you want, you can send me a notice that I can take it down and, I'll, and I'm happy to take it down. But we're not going to, you know, but they sell a lot of advertising and make a lot of money off of that content. Sure. So, you know, I think, you know, the laws, I'm not sure if the laws will change, but certainly I think, you know, in terms of growing a business model, there's got to be a symbiotic relationship there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're starting to see, which is, well, which is healthy, I think, for everyone. Facebook is also in trouble because the younger people are not going to Facebook 
and I have a 17 year old now and it's for her Instagram and Snapchat and that's it they don't even touch Facebook so I think Facebook is still trying to engage the younger crowd because they don't want you know my age is on it mm-hmm. then why does the kids want to be on it if my age is on it you know yeah so I think getting more music or the ability to for people to put up more music is probably a step in the right direction for them. Yeah, no, I yeah. think that's right. They own Instagram, by the way. So. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That yeah. was a good one. I think a lot of artists actually use I mean, I'm constantly getting, you know, on my phone, you know, of course they start at like two or three in the morning, so I don't get until the morning, but like, you know, a lot of artists are using, you know, Instagram Live, you know, to do live, live mm-hmm. broadcasts and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's a great, you know, it's a great thing for artists to be able to do that and kind of break down that barrier and connect with fans. And, you know, so I mean, the Facebook has live, um, you know, a lot of, you know, YouTube has the same thing. So, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, any of these services, you know, it's, it, you know, <laughs> whatever services mom and dad are on, they say the kids that's don't right. certainly want to be on sure. and they move quickly. I mean, you know, musically is one that's out there. I'm not really sure kind of the status of it right now, but that was kind of the hot when the kids were using for cover videos, right? Yeah. Um, they wouldn't go to YouTube anymore. Um, you know, Snapchat is, yeah. you know, interesting Twitter. They were doing Vine too a couple of years ago, pretty heavily. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because my youngest daughter, who's 13, was doing musically. Yeah. like crazy every day and just the other day like literally like over the weekend i said um i don't see you just doing musically anymore she goes i got tired of it yeah you that's, know because it's it, it was a fad yeah that seemed like and that's a sample size of one right. but you know that, yeah. that just out of that felt like a fad you know but instagram really seems like with we have stephanie here who's 22 24 23 uh, are you but you're not much of a social media user necessarily at all, right? No, I'm not. I watch a lot of YouTube, mm-hmm. um, okay, so you but are. I don't personally post things for myself. I'm more of a consumer than okay. like, putting mm-hmm. stuff out there. So YouTube um, pays nothing. <laughs> very little, yes. I mean, technically, that's a sync, a sync uh, royalty. Right, because it's uh, music connected with an image, mm-hmm. a moving image. Mm-hmm. Um, but YouTube is the one that finally, over the last year, year and a half, they've gotten a lot of criticism for being the lowest uh, service out there, that, that paying yeah. that, because uh, yeah. they're paying you as a publisher for the synchronization. They're also paying the pros because it's a performance mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything you guys do when like a term of a contract is up? Mm-hmm. Do you have the, do you try and strong arm them at all? Is Warner Chapel strong enough, just theoretically, to be able to say we're gonna, like Irving Azoff has global music rights. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm gonna, I don't want any of my artists, Eagles, um, I'm trying to think of all the other artists who are on global, Pharrell. Yeah, Pharrell, um, Megadeth is on. Yeah, yeah none of you got, I'm not gonna yeah. let any of them be on YouTube and you guys start paying higher uh, public uh, performance rights. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have that strength? You, you guys are have a much bigger catalog than global music rights. Yeah. Um, I'm not asking you necessarily what you guys do, but what can you say about? Yeah, that? as a content, like a yeah. content owner, not specific to, to Warner Chapel. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the the the, the legal and, and regulatory framework in the United States is, in some ways, it's broken, and I think it's been broken for a long time. And I think that. You know, content owners and you know artists and 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 songwriters, you know, want to be in a position where they can deal in sort of an open market with, you know, the company across the table. They want to go up to Google and say, "Hey, let's have a willing buyer, willing seller dynamic here, where I have something that you want, you have something you know that I want, and let's just come to an agreement here." 
But, you know, the issue with that sort of, you know, nirvana, which we may or may not ever reach, is that you have in the United States, um, you know, Section 115 of the Copyright Act, right? So we all know that to mechanically reproduce a song, right, back in 1909, right, you know, because of the piano rolls and all the issues with the antitrust, you know, issues and, and the things that were going on with the Aeolian, you know, piano company, piano company, um, you know, that, that Congress basically enacted, and now it's statutory, you know, even the 76 Act, that, you know, you can either get a license directly or you can just file a notice of intent. You can actually get a statutory license. So if I want to cover, you know, Steve's song, Brave, Brave New, you know, Brave New Radio, I can say, Steve, I want to license that. And I can say, you know what, I don't want to license it to you. And then myself as a cover artist can say, all right, that's fine. I'm just going to file an NOI, which is effectively a license, and pay you a royalty, and I can get it statutorily. So you actually don't have a blocking right. There's a prescribed rate that's set for that use. I, I don't even control it. And, you know, when there's a rate that someone says I can pay, and if I go charge them 1x, 2x, or 2x, 3x of that, why would they pay it? Mm-hmm. Right, they're always going to pay what they only have to pay, right. and so that's in the mechanical. When we were talking about the sync, right, and, and, and sort of a, a on-demand video service, they all kind of you know claim to have the protection of the DMCA, right, under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to have an open, you know, willing buyer, willing seller dynamic there when ultimately they can say, okay, we won't license you, um, and just send us a takedown notice, and. Who, and there's, there's no one who can, I mean, you know, 500 yeah. hours of video are uploaded to YouTube a minute. Mm-hmm. It's like whack-a-mole. Even if yeah. I were able to take down all the, you know, all the content, it would go right back up somewhere else. It's impossible to keep down, and they know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, hopefully the law is going to change there, but it's very difficult to have that. So when you say, you know, can Warner Chapel as big as it is, or, you know, any of the other big publishers, whether it be Sony or Universal or Cobalt or BMG or somebody, um, can they actually block it? Um, it's difficult because of how the framework works. It's very, very difficult. There are opportunities that we have where we can actually have a willing buyer, willing seller, and the market kind of sets the rate, and we do that. But for the most part, you know, when you're dealing with, with someone who can hide behind the DMCA, it's pretty difficult to have it. And that's why I think you, see, you hear a lot of flack about, you know, the, the, you know, Irving Azoff saying YouTube is the devil, and YouTube doesn't pay, and they pay the lowest in the industry. Mm-hmm. Because they can. Yeah. Because think, they can. Do you think, like, them hiring... Leo Cohen as like the head of the industry or head of music for YouTube. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to bring forth a lot of change, or do you feel like maybe it was more to appease the industry and kind of get them to back off? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I can't say you know exactly you know why they hired Leo. I mean, Leo obviously is probably one of the most established executives in the business. I'm you know formerly Warner Music Group, and then he was at the 300, and now he's here. I mean, the guy has his story history of being you know mm-hmm. one of the most amazing ears in the business, and clearly, you know, incredibly business savvy. Um, you know, I would imagine, you know, you know, there's Lior. I think a lot of the, the digital service providers, the DSPs, hire from the music industry because I think they're trying to gain, you know, some some sort of legitimacy. Say, hey, you know, we have people, you know, from, you know, on our side of the business now who came from the music industry, right? So we, we understand, you know, what, you know, where you guys are coming from. So I think there's a bit of that, you know. I think Lior is obviously, I mean, he's a great leader and I think he's got a great vision. And, um, you know, I think the hope and expectation from everybody on the content side is that he's going to be able to kind of, you know, do that dance between, you know what tech and content, or what tech wants and what content needs. Right. You know what I mean, and sort of mm-hmm. you know and do that. So, but I, I think it's it, it, you know it's early days, but I think it's going to prove to be a positive. I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, at the end of the summer, Irving Azoff, who we mentioned, um, basically said that Lior 
Lior was saying we're not as bad as we're not the right. devil, as everybody's <laughs> saying. Irving Avizov said, then basically you're full of, of it. Right. Yeah. That, that's not true because look at the rates that you're doing. You're swallowing your own Kool-Aid. Yeah. You right. used to be an artist guy, and now you're part of Google, basically, yeah. one of the biggest companies on earth, and you're forcing down our throats this horrible rate. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, until until Irving gets hired by Facebook or something like that. Because yeah. <laughs> he's been everywhere. And then we're like, yeah. fill her up. There's another... No, I was taking tweets. Yeah, Bianca Russo. Uh, she left this really long, yes, long tweet. Um, uh, it just came out either today or yesterday today about uh, Spotify, as we know, is going to go public very soon. Mm. And there was a class action lawsuit against them uh, by songwriters and publishers uh, in which there was a settlement mm-hmm. of, I think it was like 40, $43, 48000000 million. And a number of songwriters are pulling out and apparently publishers of that settlement mm-hmm. stating that because technically for each infringement, that's $150,000 is what the law says. Mm-hmm. And you're basically, if you break down the amount of money you're paying in this settlement to the number of times you infringed, each artist is getting like $3.50. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying this is not a very good uh, settlement and we want to go back and redo this whole thing. Are you aware of that? And it's ongoing, an ongoing uh, case, so I don't know what you could talk about, but yeah. about the overarching... Um, Conflict mm-hmm. between digital services and what is owed to, in general, songwriters and publishers. Because you guys are always getting the short end of the stick as it relates to the labels. You know, especially if you break down what Spotify pays, it's a portion of a penny, yeah. but a majority of that is still going to the sound recording copyright owner, and you're splitting the rest with the uh, the pros and also then you guys. Correct. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, you know, if you look at... Um, you know, if you look at sort of what, you know, what, what labels are doing versus what publishers are doing, again, we're regulated, particularly in the United States. So we have a statute that says you have to pay X, um, you know, for the use of these, these songs. The labels, they don't have that. They can actually sit across the table. They can actually look at Spotify and say, I'm not going to license you. And Spotify is like, okay, well, I guess we'll have to take that content off. And everybody knows that if you lose content, people are going to go elsewhere, and that's not mm-hmm. a good thing for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, when it comes to the publishing, when it comes to the copyrights for the underlying musical composition, you can get a statutory license. And so we actually, if we tell Spotify, no, we don't want to do a deal with you, they say, that's fine. We'll just go out, we'll serve NOIs, we'll get a third-party company to come in and basically execute those types of things, effectively have a license, we'll pay them. What happened, I think, you know, and again, if you read the press with, th- with these cases, is that Spotify went out and they, the allegation was that they built a system internally for payments but it wasn't really one built for musical compositions. It was built more for the tracking of sound recordings. And they really didn't do a good job about getting licenses in place for publishing. Now, granted, publishing, very, very complicated business. You know, master recordings, sound recordings, one owner for the most part, you know, life of copyright. Uh, musical compositions, you know, modern day, how, how are songs produced? You could have four, five, six, ten writers, producers, you know, on, on a track. You're going to go to clear those rights. You've got to go to 10 people, right? Possibly 20, depending on how everything's split up with publishers and the like. So it's, it's, it is difficult. You know, it's, I, think, you know, I, think, I think the industry itself is trying to find a solution for kind of a, a, a more streamlined approach to kind of licensing. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, it's the nature of songwriting. You know, if you have two or three writers, everyone has to get paid. I think what Spotify's mistake here was that they just didn't 
really understand it from the get-go. And I think that the machine kind of got rolling and rolling and rolling. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, there's like actually like real revenue here from these services. And we're not getting paid. And, you know, in the one hand you're hearing, oh, Spotify is going to IPO and their company is worth, you know, $8 billion, $10 million, $15 billion. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the songwriters are like, you're using my stuff and I haven't even gotten paid. Right? And then when you start digging into it from a legal point of view, you say, okay, they actually didn't license my song. They're a copyright infringer and it's $150,000 per work under the statute, anywhere from seven dollars to $150,000 per work. Um, you know, and so hence these lawsuits. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, and how these things get resolved because obviously Spotify has pressured, I think, to, you know, to IPO because of all the, you know, sort of the investment they've gotten over the years, you know. Um, but, um, you know, one thing is for certain, you know, I think, um, it's again, it's got to be a symbiotic relationship. You know what I mean? We need the services and they need us and we've got to kind of figure out a better path forward. And that's kind of, that's one of the things I do every day. <laughs> you know, it's kind of fight for that. Fight for our writers, you know, fight for content and uh, just try to ensure, you know, fair payment and that everyone's getting accounted properly. So this week they came out and said they shouldn't pay a mechanical royalty. Yes, that because was... Because public streaming is public performance. Yeah. Which is, you know, completely at odds to their participation recently in the Copyright Royalty Board proceeding in which rates are now being set, which case, you know, has been litigated and is now going to be effective January 118, presumably, if the, if the CRB judges come out. Meaning uh, there'll be a statutory rate for streaming? Well, there is one now, but this is now sort of, so they get set in place every, I think it's four to five years. So this will be for oh, record three. Yeah, so the actual okay. rates. So the, the rates under the statute that the services have to pay for the mechanical reproduction. Um, as the, the case just went, the, the, the parties were unable to settle it. So it's, it's, you know, it's a rate court proceeding. They go in, they litigate it. Mm-hmm. Each side presents evidence about, you know, we think it should be this, we think it should be this. And then the CRB judges basically decide. But throughout that, you know, Spotify never took the view that there was no mechanical. And it's a very interesting and mind boggling position to take. Um, you know, and I think that um, it certainly ain't a way to cozy up and, and, and kind of, you know, respect content. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's no question that it's, that's been something that's been in place for now for 16 years and for them to kind of come out in left field and do this. I mean, you know, if you, you can Google online, David Israelite from the NPA has some very strong words for them, um, you know, on behalf of uh, publishers. Now, is that any different than a, I mean, in terms of the mechanical, any different than a download? Yeah, I mean, the streaming rates and the download rates are very different. No, I mean, yeah. not rates, but I mean, the actual, is it a mechanical reproduction or is it not a mechanical reproduction? And of course, it was very easy to say that with when you made an LP, right? Or you made whatever. But now, when downloading came out, and that fight still was between, I think, who won? An Eminem had won, and uh, then it was a, uh, a license and not a yeah. purchase, and right. therefore the, the royalty would be higher. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I, I, that's the way I was interpreting this. Now that they're going to maybe use that to say that, well, well, this isn't a mechanical either. It's going to be. Just a public performance. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely. I mean, like I said, it's kind of a baffling legal argument. I mean, I think for a very long time, um, you know, it's been it's been accepted, and I think it's you know everyone has been kind of playing by the rules that an interactive service has a mechanical and performance component. Yeah. A non-interactive service has a performance component. And again, right. I'm speaking about the United States. So yeah. Pandora, when I can't go on there and actually go and say, hey, I want to listen to Ramble On by Led Zeppelin. That's performance, that's not interactive. Spotify, right. I go on, I want to listen to X, Y, and Z whenever I want, however when I can cash it, I can go offline, this and mm-hmm. that. There's a mechanical reproduction as well as performance there. And that's mm-hmm. kind of long, you know, that's been long established. So, you know, if this is some kind of strange litigation strategy or something, 
Okay. I mean, you know, they're pretty smart people, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, they, I can imagine they give a lot of thought before they, they oh, put that yeah. one out because that, that was, that was uh, quite a shot across the bow, I think, to our entire industry. Mm, yeah. You ever see the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Yeah. There's a great scene where there's a, a battle between two people with swords. This guy knocks, you know, chops off the guy's arm. Okay. And he goes, okay, I win. No, you didn't. Well, I just had your arm off. No, you didn't. Come on, you, you know, and then they just keep fighting. Every time he knocks, I just cut off your legs. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, may Stephanie read a tweet to you? Please. Yeah. Tim Stetcher wants to know what music laws are the most in need of revision? It's a great question. It's a great question. Um, I think, you know, top of the list is the, the DMCA, which we kind of talked about. You know Can I mean? you explain more about DMCA, Digital sure. Millennium Copyright Act, kind of where it is? And I know you briefly said what it is, but kind of get a little bit more into that. Sure. So the DMCA came into effect, I believe it was like sometime around the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, basically at the time it was kind of, you know, really used for, you know, the pipes to protect like, you know, digital service providers like AT&T and the like from infringement claims. And I think that, you know, no one at that time had ever thought that we would be in the place where we are today with like, you know, how YouTube operates and, you know, Facebook operates. And so what ends up happening is that the DMCA basically shields digital service providers from liability to the extent that they don't have knowledge. And again, it's, it gets very deep. I'm just kind of giving a very sort of like 50,000 foot view of, of what it is. But the idea is that basically, again, you know, YouTube can take the position that, you know, I as a user, I don't own, you know, Ramble on by Led Zeppelin. I upload it into a video. I don't really have the right to do it. Um, you know, YouTube doesn't have a right, you know, into that, into that song, you know, absent a license. And someone could say, okay, well, you guys are monetizing that. And so therefore you guys have liability. And then, but if they, but under the DMCA, I actually have to send a notice to YouTube to say, hey, take it down. And then they can say, okay, I'll take it down. I mean, it's crazy that YouTube executives or any, you know, can't just go on and say, okay, look, here is, you know, all these songs, you know what I mean? But that's how the law works now, you know what I mean? And again, I'm just using YouTube as an example. I mean, I think, you know, they're, you know, you know, any of them, YouTube, Facebook, any, any kind of DSP, these are just kind of, you know, kind of more of the common ones. But, uh, but basically, again, the DMCA just kind of, I, I think it's got to be revised. I think it's got to be sort of reflective of the fact of that, um, you know, how the marketplace and how these services have kind of morphed into kind of the modern age. So, yeah, that would be a good start. By the way, we should mention to listeners that Stephen Dallas is going to be back on the campus of William Patterson, the university, on, on October 16th. Wow. On Monday, October 16th, we're doing a live Music Biz 101 and More panel, and Steve Dallas is going to be part of that. And we also have John Bulos from Atlantic Records. We have Carrie Keller from Sony Music Entertainment. We have three other people, two other people. Very good. <laughs> Haven't memorized it yet. But, uh, but the big one is Stephen Dallas because he's, uh, they call him at work the big kahuna. And it's true, his office has this huge fish. Um, and they call him the, the, the kahuna. Did you have a tweet that you wanted to tweet, no, Doctor? I, didn't. I thought we, I did, oh, but I didn't. Okay. Uh, we have about three minutes left. Okay. So, and I bring, that's why I bring that up. But because we are listening to Music Biz 101 more. Stephanie Grimes getting her MBA in music management. Stephanie Grimes from Oklahoma, who came all the way to Jersey. <laughs> Just for tonight. Just for can tonight. I ask, can I ask Stephanie a question, actually, if that's okay? No. No? Okay, so, sorry. Of course. Go. <laughs> how do you, um, I mean, you said you're 22? 23. 23? Yeah. So 23, I mean, how are you, your friends, accessing music? Like, what, what services do you use? Are you buying physical? Are you going, like, what, how are you guys accessing? I'm, I'm always interested um, to see because you are really the demographic. You right. Know what I mean, like, yeah. So, personally, I hear a lot of new music on YouTube, which is probably not getting paid proper royalties, but... 
It's a great um, place to discover that. Yeah, so I discover it there, and then I'll go listen to it on Spotify. But I don't pay for Spotify, so mm-hmm. I go and I buy the music on Apple, on oh, okay. iTunes. Interesting. Okay. So you're still purchasing music. You're still right. purchasing downloads. Yeah, because I don't like to pay for data on my phone. So mm-hmm. I purchase the song, so I have them with me all the time. And cool. can listen to my phone. Um, I don't really like to listen to radio too much. I think... Um, at least what I see with me and my friends, we don't really listen to radio anymore. Really? Um, like in our cars, yeah. I'll like FM up. radio or like we were saying before, like Sirius or... Like, like FM. I personally don't know anyone in my age range that listens to Sirius. For me, I view that more as my parents' age. Hmm, interesting. Um, but yeah, so... And even before this, uh, before we went on the air, you mentioned how... You've never even let, basically you've never listened to AM radio. Yeah, it's always I accidentally hit the button in my car uh-huh. when I'm trying to listen to FM. Which is, it's funny to see this evolution because yeah. I grew up, even Marconi even, you know, before me, well, with Marconi, he invented radio, but yeah. I grew up as, as a little kid in the 1970s, it was all AM radio. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to FM when I became, you know, 12 years old or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. now it's to where it is today. Mm-hmm. But, but you, no radio really yeah. at all. Which the radio industry would say, you don't exist. Radio is extremely right. healthy. Yeah. But yeah. the truth is they're having the same problem that Facebook may run into later de- deadline is that younger demographic. Right. How do we keep replenishing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Cool. So we can't ask the question we were going to ask because we have a minute left, right? <clears throat> okay. Did you have any last 15-second thoughts? No, that's been Day? great. It flew by. It really did. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad great. we're having you back. Awesome. For the panel, so we can spend, or five of you, so we can spend 20% of the time with you. Right. And the other uh, 80% will be so boring. <laughs> so it really should just be a panel with Stephen Dallas. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. This was a, a real pleasure to do this. Thank you. Why don't we clap? Why don't we clap? I don't know why we wouldn't. <laughs> we should thank Ashley Weltner for being over there and not saying a word, not interrupting us at all. And Ashley's probably the biggest business mind in this room. But mm. thank you, Ashley, for being the engineer supreme. We should thank Stephanie Grimes for coming all the way over from Oklahoma yeah, just for the show. And you're going to go back because she's famous yeah. in Oklahoma. But thank you very much for being here and going <laughs> to our you. school. And Absolutely. your tuition pays my salary. So thank you very much, Stephanie. <laughs> yes. We should thank Dr. Esteban Marconi. Well, thank you. And also my co-host, the great David Kirk Phil. Who is I? Yes. And Stephen Dallas at the end of every show. Wait. Would... Next week we're having a mystery guest. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that means we don't know yet. <laughs> but we would never break down that fourth wall and let our listeners know that we are unguested for next week. Because right. we will be very guested. Yes. Very big guested next week. So at the end of every show, Esteban Dallas. We do not say hello, because that would be silly, right? Because it's over. So you want to know what we say? I'm, 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 I'm going to tell you what we say, <laughs> Stephen say. Dallas. We say, I can't remember when you looked at me and cried, said something broke inside of you.
安。